this. Uh, I went to the post office box yesterday, and I, I, I've been a little behind because of dealing with my, uh, my mother and, and uh, getting her funeral and all that taken care of. But I, I got behind on, on going to the post office and picking up mail. And yesterday, I was going through tons of those mailers that they send to you. And I came across one that said, uh, it was advertising from a restaurant, and it said, dinner for two. And it gave lots of, lots of information about, you know, for, two, for this amount of money, you can get this and this and this and this. And, and it made me kind of think, because, again, I knew where I was going to be going today. That's kind of the way life is. I mean, have you, th- have you really, let, let, me, let me put this up on the screen so that you see that. I want you to think about it this way. Have you ever given much thought to the idea that we seem to live in a world that's built for two? I mean, everything is like built for two. It's, it's, it's dinner for two. It's a trip for two. Nobody advertises anything for just one person. It's always built for two. If you're a single person in, a, in this world that's built for two, there are times that you feel like that proverbial round peg trying to be put in a square hole. Because, again, in, in a world that's built for two, it can just be awkward. So let me just go ahead and stop and say that before some of you who are married in the room check out on this message, I want to share a statistic that I found a few years ago, and this is a a statistic that blew me away, and here it is. Every person in this room will be single at some point in your life. (laughs) Amazing, isn't it? I mean, every person, not all of us will be married in life, but all of us will spend a large portion of our lives single and just listen to me listen listen to me married people if you're not single now the odds are that you will be single again either through the death of your spouse or the possibility of a divorce you see in my life, more specifically in my job, I get to talk to people who are going through all kinds of different life experiences. And after talking to people and listening to their life experiences, this is the thing that I've discovered. Look, look at behind me. Lots of people go through their life single. As a matter of fact, right now, the number of adults in the United States that are not married is right at 50%. But even though half of the adults in the United States of America are not married, we need to make, we need to not make the mistake of thinking that we can take those 50% of the people who are not married and then just lump them all into the same category. You can't put all the single people into the same category. And here's the thing, knowing that you can't put all single people into the same category, I want us this morning to visit an Old Testament book, the book of Ruth in the Old Testament, because it's there where I think we find a story that to me is very, very interesting. And even though this book of Ruth was written thousands of years ago, I just think it's a great reminder on how different the lives of unmarried people can be. Because it's in the book of Ruth that we find 
three different people. And those three people live three very different lives. So here's what I want us to do. I want to introduce, I want to introduce you this morning to three people in the story. And the first person in the story is a lady by the name of Naomi. And Naomi is an older widow. But here's the thing we have to understand about Naomi and her story. When Naomi was younger, she and her husband moved from her hometown of Bethlehem. They moved to a country called Moab. And there, Naomi and her husband would have two sons. And those sons would grow up. But soon after those sons grew up, that's when tragedy would strike in Naomi's life. Because listen to me this morning. Not only would Naomi lose her husband, she would also, shortly after losing her husband, she would lose both of her sons. Now just imagine as a mom, as a wife, losing your husband, and then shortly after your husband dies, both of your sons die. Can you imagine the amount of grief that Naomi experienced in her life in just a short amount of time? I mean, can you picture this morning what it's like to lose three people who are the three people that are closest to you? The first person in the story is Naomi. The second person that we see in the story is a lady by the name of Ruth. And Ruth is a young, single widow with no children. She was Naomi's daughter-in-law. She was married to one of Naomi's sons, one of the sons that suddenly passed away. Now, the third person in the story is somebody that we're not going to talk a lot about until the end of the story. But the third person in the story is a guy by the name of Boaz. And Boaz is a single, uh, middle-aged, wealthy guy that has never been married. And here's what's interesting about the story. Because in this story, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, all three of these people, they remind us just how different the life of a single person can be. And again, when you think about people who are single, when you think about people who are living their life and they're facing life alone, these three people are the perfect reminder of what I've already alluded to. You can't throw all the single people into the same category. Because there are people in this audience watching, listening online, who are going to be like Boaz. There are people who go through life and they just never married. I mean, some people haven't married because they've been disappointed by the people they've dated. Some people didn't get married because they've been disillusioned by the homes that they had to grow up in. Some people haven't married even though they want to be married. But for those people, it just doesn't seem like the right person has come along for them. And knowing that they want to be married and the right person hasn't come along, for that person, let me just tell you, living their life as a single person, it can just be frustrating. And then there are some people who have just chosen, I'm just, gonna not, I'm just not going to marry. That's what I've chosen to do. Whether it's just a season in their life or whether they've chosen to stay unmarried all of their lives, it's just the choice that they made. And I don't know if you know this, 
But again, I always like to pull something out that maybe you can walk out of here and maybe you've all heard about Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz a hundred times. And if that's if you have, that's good. But but I want to give you something maybe you didn't know about. I don't know if you know, but the New Testament actually talks about how some people have a spiritual gift of remaining single. I mean, it's actually referred to as a spiritual gift. Now, the second group of these people are, are, are single people, and, and these are the people who have experienced or had to go through a divorce. And, and many of you this morning, you know, you know, because you've been through a divorce. You know that divorce is devastating. You know that divorce is something that will turn your world upside down. Because after you are divorced, after you have exited a marriage, you understand that there are so many awkward adjustments that you have to make in life now that you're no longer married and now that you're single. Let, let me give you an example. It, let's say that you're very, you know, you're, you're very frequently when you were married, you went out with other people, with other couples. Well, now you're single. So if you go out with somebody now who, was, who is still married and you're kind of like the third person, then, then one of the things that, that you, you feel like is, you know, there's just, there's, there's not anybody for me anymore. You know, you're kind of like the third wheel. And then if they don't ask you, then you're like, you don't matter. But, but in the book of Ruth, even though Ruth was a young widow, I think that she experienced many of the same adjustments that many of you have gone through as you've gone through a divorce. You have experienced many of the same things that Ruth experienced. And maybe you haven't experienced them, or maybe you're experiencing them now. But then there's a third group. The third group this morning that's facing life alone are the widows, are the widowers that are among us. You're one of those people like Naomi and like Ruth. You buried somebody that was very special to you. You pictured living your entire life with this person, and now you've buried the person that you could not picture living your life without. And most of you that have had to do this, you know that burying your life partner was one of the most difficult things that you ever had to do. Because, see, here's the thing. As, as a son who has lost his father and now I've lost my mother, I can't tell you uh, how many times my mother died on July the 13th, and I can't tell you how many times in the last two weeks uh, I have looked at my phone thinking that she was going to call me. And, and it's kind of funny because the, the, those last conversations that we had those last several weeks and months were almost kind of humorous. And, and uh, there were times, if I'm honest with you, that I kind of dreaded the phone call. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? But now I, I think about something that I need to know, and I think, well, I'm going to pick up the phone and call her, and she's not there. And neither is my dad. I can't talk to either one of them because neither one of them are there. They're both gone. So I can only imagine what it's been like for those of you in the audience or those watching online who have had to bury your husband or you've had to bury your wife. I mean, just think about it. You get to 
you're, you're so familiar with sitting, uh, setting the table, putting the plates and the silverware and the glass out that you just naturally go to put one for them and they're not there. Maybe you or someone you know this morning is going through the grief process. Like Naomi and Ruth were going through. Lots of people go through life single. Lots of people go through life solo. And the thing that we have to remember is no matter which category you're in, people who are doing life single, they all have very diverse needs. Here's something else that I've discovered when I talk to people who are living life as a single person. Single life has its challenges. Naomi decided after the death of her husband, the best thing for her to do was to leave Moab and go back to her hometown of Bethlehem. And here's the thing. If, if you read the entire story, you find out that her daughter-in-laws were so attached to her that they decided that when Naomi was going to go back to Bethlehem from Moab, that they were just going to go back with her as well. But part of the way... Uh, Part of the way down the road on this trip back to Bethlehem from Moab, Naomi tries to send her daughter-in-laws back. And, and I want you to see this. Look at Ruth chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's home instead of coming with me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Now, this is Naomi telling the daughter-in-laws, hey, you just don't need to come with me. You just need to go back. Go back because you don't need the baggage of your old mother-in-law hanging around on your life. You actually need a new man in your life. Naomi knew what I would say is the first challenge of living life single. And here's the first challenge of living life single. Loneliness. Now think about loneliness. Some of you, some of you, that really hits you this morning. Because loneliness is interesting. Loneliness on the surface is interesting because how it affects people differently. I mean, loneliness is actually one of those things that impacts the lives of people who you don't even think are lonely. Loneliness affects people who are successful. Loneliness affects people who are surrounded by people. Loneliness even impacts the lives of people who are believers in Jesus Christ and they follow him. I mean, think about it this morning. Have you been there? Are you there this morning? Is there something happening in your life right now that causes you, you just know on the inside that you feel like you're lonely? Have you ever been around a lot of people and feel like even though I'm around a lot of people, there's just nobody here that I can talk to? I know that God's there. I know that God's out there. But I need another person I can talk to. And you look around at your surroundings and you just feel like there's nobody out there for me to talk to. Well, after Naomi says to her daughter-in-laws that they should go back home, one of them named Orpah, she took Naomi's advice and she went back to Moab. But Ruth insisted on going with Naomi back to Bethlehem. And that's when Ruth makes this statement 
that's really interesting. Let me, let me just say this. this. This statement that we're about to look at in just a moment is so interesting because this is one of those statements that, that lots of people have actually included this statement, this scripture in their wedding ceremony. Here's what she said, Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Look, look at it because you're going to know this. You're going to recognize this. Ruth says to, to, to Naomi, I will go wherever you go and live wherever you live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. I will die where you die and I will be buried there. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. See, Ruth had already started to discover what I would say is the second challenge or the second opportunity of facing life alone. And that second challenge, or really I think it's an opportunity, look at the screen behind me, that second opportunity is adventure. That's the positive part of being single and ready to mingle. You know what I'm saying? That, that's the positive part of being a single person and living the single life. That's why I actually called that an opportunity instead of a challenge. Because Ruth saw her newfound singleness as this opportunity for adventure. She saw her newfound singleness as, as something that was positive and as it was going to allow her to do something that otherwise she would not have been able to do. She was saying to Naomi, I don't have anything tying me down. Nothing's tying me back to Moab, so I think I'll go with you. Let's travel. Let's get the fifth wheel hooked up, and let's go back to Bethlehem. That's really the way that she looked at it. But think about it. That's what living the single life gives you the ability to do. As a single person, you have more of an opportunity to be adventurous then you would ever be able to be adventurous if you were married to somebody. And again, it's especially true to people who don't have children. Or if you're one of those people whose kids have already grown up. Because here's the thing. If you're single, you can travel more. If you're single, you can serve God more. If you're single, you can go on a mission trip. If you're a single person, you can take a financial risk. If you're a single person, you can risk your career. And you would never be able to do those things or take those risks if you were married. Because when you are married, you have too many responsibilities to do some of those things that you could do if you're single. Now, when Ruth arrived in Bethlehem, she had to go to work. So Ruth went into the fields picking up grain that had been left behind in the fields by the farmer. And you think to yourself, well, wh why did she do that? Well, that, that is because it's the third challenge. The third challenge that you're going to face when you're living life alone is actually a cross between your career and your finances. It's a cross between those two things. Ruth had to go to work because Ruth didn't have anybody else in her life that was going to be there to support her. Ruth had to go to work because there wasn't anyone else to meet her needs. And Ruth was determined to find a career that allowed her 
to meet some of the needs that she had, but she also wanted to help meet some of the needs that her mother-in-law, Naomi, had. There is a degree that some unmarried people have when it comes to pursuing the full extent of their career. Think about it. Unmarried people can stay late and they can work late. They can take jobs where they travel. They can take a job that enables them to see the world more. They can do many of the things that married people would never be able to do. And that's one of the things that we as a church have discovered throughout COVID because so many people went remote and started working from their home. Many people who were living in Lebanon and attending church here, they've moved to a better place. They moved to a place like Florida where they can work remote from Florida and they've just pulled up roots, sold their house here and moved off. And again, it, it hurt us, but it helped them. Again, that's one of the benefits of a single life. But there is another side of that. The other side is when you're single, making it on one income can be very difficult, especially for single moms and those who lived on fixed incomes. You and I both know that it's challenging enough with two incomes in this economy right now. Let me, let me just say this. Did, has anybody gotten their electric bill yet? I got mine yesterday, and somebody said to me, I don't know, did they go up? And I'm like, did they go up? I mean, part of the reason is because of the heat. We've had extreme heat, and, and, and we understand that, but everything across the board is going up. So we know if you're single now, making it on one income is difficult, especially if you're a single mom trying to raise children. And people on fixed incomes. It's, it's challenging in this day and time, especially as many of us are discovering in this current economy. Let, let me give you statistics that I believe are important when it comes to thinking about this. Studies show that while men experience a 42% rise in their standard of living after a divorce, the standard of living for a man goes up after a divorce, but for women and children, they typically experience a 73% decline in their standard of living. And I know I've said this before. I, I, again, a lot of times people will question when we as a church do things for single moms, they'll say, well, why don't you do things for single dads? Let me answer that. First thing we believe is that God has called us to help single moms when we can. And I believe that part of the reason that God has called us to help single moms when we can, it's simply because of that statistic that I just gave you. 73% of women experience a decline in their standard of living after a divorce. And as a church, we have wanted to do things when we could to help single moms. That's just the 411. So Ruth recognizes that there's nobody out there that's going to take care of her. 
So Ruth says, you know what? I've got to get a job. And Ruth went to work in the field picking up grain that was left by the farmers. And I'm going to be the first to tell you, because you may not know that, this, in that culture, that job that Ruth took was not seen as a glamorous job. But you just have to admire her for taking that job and doing what she needed to do to take care of herself and her mother-in-law, Naomi. But it was while she was out in the field doing her work that she experienced the fourth challenge. And here's the fourth challenge of doing life alone. The fourth challenge is dating, right? Am I right? That's the fourth challenge. For some singles, dating is just a natural part of life. But for some of you who are now single again, dating can just be awkward. Am I right? It's just awkward to have to start that whole process again. So Ruth goes out to the field, uh, and she goes to work. And this is the place that she starts to get noticed by the third person in the story. And the third person that we talked about or alluded to was a guy by the name of Boaz. Boaz was the owner of the field. And here's what the Bible says in Ruth chapter 2, verse 5. Look at what it says. Then Boaz asked his foreman, see that girl over there? I mean, she's out working in his field, and Boaz notices her, and he asks the foreman, who is that? And here's what you need to know. Boaz was a great guy. He has character. He has integrity. He loves God. He's a man of faith. But Boaz is loaded. And some of you, that's the question you're asking me this morning. Some of you single women, all the single ladies, all the single ladies, where can I find me a Boaz? That's what you want to know. You want to know where can I find me a man like that? Well, from what we know about Boaz, I don't think that Ruth would have met him at the, you know, on the club scene. I don't think she would have met him at the local cougar bar. Or the meat market. Ruth did what was right. Now listen to me, ladies. Ruth kept her act together. And when she least expected it, come on now, and she wasn't even looking for it, that's when God brought Boaz her way. Now, to make a long story short, Boaz befriended Ruth, and when Naomi, her mother-in-law, found out about it, she decided that she would play Cupid and try to move this whole thing along. So she said to Ruth, Ruth, here's what you need to do, because I know where Boaz is going to be tonight. So here's what you need to do. You need to go and take a good bath, and you need to put on perfume, and you wear your hottest dress, and you look nice. And then you go down to the barn where Boaz is working, and after he eats and he lays down and he goes to sleep, then you just go down there, Ruth, and you lay yourself at his feet. And he will tell you what to do from there. And so 
some of you are saying, well, what is Naomi telling Ruth to do? It's not what you think. But what Naomi was telling Ruth was, Ruth, you need to get ready to present yourself as a bride. It's actually a proposal. She's saying, prepare yourself as a bride and announce to Boaz that you are interested, available, and you are willing to relocate. That was it. So I want you to listen to what happens next. Picking up at verse 8. You ain't got to go on The Bachelor. You just take a bath, put your perfume on, lay at his feet, and you'll be in good shape. There you go, all right? Here's what it says. Ruth chapter 3, verse 8. Suddenly around midnight, he, being Boaz, he awakened and sat up, startled. There was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he demanded. It's I, sir, Ruth, she replied. Make me your wife according to God's law, for you are my close relative. Thank God for a girl like you, he exclaimed. Now don't worry about a thing, my child. I'll handle all the details, for everyone knows what a wonderful person you are. I mean, isn't this a great story? Ruth and Boaz become husband and wife. And the more I think that this is such a great and practical story for people who are single, it's also a great story for people of any status doing life alone. So here's, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to do what I did last week. I want to pull out what I would say are three principles so that you can experience hope when you are facing life alone. Three principles that will help you face life when you're single. And this first principle is, is specifically for those of you who have gone through a divorce or the death of your partner. Because here's the thing you see, Naomi and Ruth, they teach us this. Look, look, look behind me. They teach us that when we miss something in life, when something is taken from us or when we're divorced and now we don't have that partner that we were married to, we need to grieve. We need to grieve and be patient. Why do I need to grieve after a divorce? Why do I need to grieve after the loss of my husband or my wife? I'll tell you why. You need to grieve because experts tell us that it takes up to two years for you to return to a state where you have an emotionally healthy equilibrium in your life. It takes you two years to get back to a place where things in your life are normal. So if it takes two years to get back to a place where things in your life are normal, I want to take a few minutes and clear up some things as it relates to God and those times of loss in our lives. Because let me just tell you, the Bible does not tell you that, that you are to pretend that what you have gone through does not hurt you. The Bible doesn't tell you that you, don't, that you need to pretend like you don't hurt. See, I grew up in a church or in churches 
where people kind of convinced me that I was supposed to pretend like things in life didn't hurt me. That that was kind of like a sign that I was a strong Christian, a strong follower of Jesus, that I was to pretend like things did not hurt me. But let me just tell you this morning, the Bible does not say that. You see, in some churches, there are people that have had something terrible happen to them, and they just seem to take it in stride, and they hold their head high, and they pretend it doesn't hurt by, by showing other people how strong they are. And they just push right through the adversity they're going through, and they just don't even talk about it. They just hide it, and they don't talk about it. Sometimes people escape loss by binge-watching on television. Sometimes people escape loss by getting into drugs or alcohol. Sometimes people escape the loss of a marriage or a marriage partner by, by just working longer hours by spending money that they don't really have. And people will ask them, well, well, you know, Randy, how are you doing? How are you doing? And, and you know what we naturally say? Well, I'm fine. I'm just fine. Everything's fine. Some people think that being a good Christian means going through difficult losses and not grieving. And let me just say this morning, if that is the way that you respond or if that's the way that you've seen people respond. I don't know where people came up with that. Because let me tell you this morning, the Bible simply does not say that. The Bible says just the opposite. The Bible tells you and it tells me that for all of us, there's a time to mourn. There's a time in your life to grieve. And Ruth and Naomi, they took the time to mourn. They took the time to grieve. Because it's a natural part of the process when it comes to what you've experienced in your life. Let me show you the second principle. Whenever you lose somebody whether it's through a divorce or through death, you shouldn't go through it by yourself. When Ruth was moving back to Bethlehem, she says to her mother-in-law, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever, wherever you live, I will live. I'm not going to let myself go it alone. I'm not going to let you go through this alone because we are in this together. As two people, Naomi and Ruth, who are grieving the loss of our husbands and our marriage, we're going to do this together. And that's one of the things, listen, listen to me this morning, that's one of the things that amazes me about the early church. The thing that amazes me about the early church, the Acts 2 church, is simply their commitment to each other. They were committed to the fact that the church was a place, listen to me this morning, the church was a place where nobody stands alone. This is what we read in Acts chapter 2. Look at Acts chapter 2. They joined with the other believers and devoted themselves to the fellowship. And all the believers met together constantly and shared everything they had. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. 
those first believers, those first followers of Jesus Christ, whether they were single or whether they were married, the Bible tells us that they were devoted to each other. They were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to community. They were devoted to meeting each other's needs. And I'll tell you, those are the kind of relationships that all of us, single or married, we all need those kind of relationships in our lives right now. It's one of the reasons why I encourage you to get involved on Sunday morning. Get involved serving on one of our serving teams. Attend a service, serve a service. I mean, we used to have three services. I mean, now, honestly, we could get everybody in one service. But somebody, somebody asked me the other day, they said, well, why, why don't you just go to one service? I'll tell you why I'm not going to one service. I mean, COVID has decimated the church across the country. But one of the reasons why I'm not going to go to one service is because that would take away the opportunity of those who are serving in Wombaland or Upstreet to attend a service. They need the opportunity to, sit, to attend a service just like you need an opportunity to attend a service. Yeah, it would look a lot better if it was packed in here, and it used to be. But if I take away another service, then those people who are serving back there, they get no opportunity to worship like you get an opportunity to worship. But you need to be serving. You need to be involved. You need to build community with people and when that happens in your life, those are the people that when you go through a difficult time, those are the people that are going to come alongside you. I mean, I can't keep up with you. I don't even want to keep up with some of you. I mean, I look at you on Instagram, and I'm like, Lord Jesus, help them. Put a hedge of protection around them. Go before them. Go behind them. Lord, they're going to get themselves in trouble. But it's summertime. I couldn't keep up with you anyway. You're going and doing and, and having fun. I understand that. It would be impossible for me to keep up with everything happening in your life. So get involved. Do life with other people. Because all of us, listen, listen we all need people that we can rejoice with when it's time to rejoice. We need people that we can mourn with when it's time to mourn. And my hope is that as a church, we will be a church that never lets people stand alone. That we will be a church where our arms are, metaphorically speaking, always open. That we will be a church that's inclusive, not exclusive. And we will welcome people instead of shun people. Because our hope is, listen, our hope is that no one person walks alone. Here's one last thing that we learned from Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. What I say is the third principle, and the third principle is contentment. We just need to learn to be content. Single people, listen to me. Learn to be content as a single person. Because I know lots of married, unmarried people who have made themselves miserable because they have convinced themselves that if they're not married, they're not going to be happy. And yet there are so many married people 
who wish they were single. Figure that out. Here's the way I see it. Let me just tell you, if, if you're going to write anything down today, this is what you need to write down. If you're not content as a single person, you're not going to be content as a married person. It's just that simple. If you're not content as a single person, you're not going to be content as a married person. See, the myth out there is that a change of my status from a single person to a married person, that's going to make me happy. But let me just tell you, that in and of itself is the myth. It's not the truth. I mean, take a minute and think about this. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, the guy who wrote half of the New Testament, was single. And he was content. And he was happy. And you're wondering right now, what was his, thing, uh, what was his secret to contentment? How did he do it? Well, I think he tells us. In Philippians chapter 4, look, look, look at it behind me. Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. That means being single. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now, li listen, listen. The secret of contentment is the power of Jesus Christ at work inside of you. That's the secret. The secret to contentment is the power of Jesus Christ at work inside of you. And as crazy as it might sound to you this morning, I admire all three of the people that we've talked about this morning, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. Because I think all three of those show you and me how we can experience hope when we're actually facing life alone. I mean, think about it. Boaz is this wealthy, faithful, God-fearing, God-loving man, but Boaz was single most of his adult life. But then later in life, he eventually married a wonderful woman. And then there's Ruth, who saw her marriage cut short, but she eventually had a second opportunity at marriage. And then there's Naomi. Naomi, who was widowed. She found herself single for the rest of her life. But in, fight, in, in spite of the fact that she was single, she found joy and contentment and peace and love through all of that. And here's the good news. The good news for all of you who are living the single life is that you can find that same peace and love and hope and contentment that she found. This is the very reason why you need the reason for contentment, whether you're married or single. You need Jesus Christ in your life because, like Paul said, you can do all things through him. So this morning, I'm wondering, who in this room, who's watching online, and, and you find yourself in a season of grieving? You're in a season of loss, the loss of a relationship, 
the loss of a marriage. You're in a season where you've lost a husband or a wife to death. If that's you this morning, then here's what I want to tell you. You just need to be patient. Just be patient while you grieve. Let it out how you feel. Express to other people what it is that you feel as you walk through whatever it is that you're going through. I wonder this morning who needs to take a step towards community, towards doing life with other people. Who in this auditorium or who watching online needs to make the decision like Naomi and Ruth made that, you know what, whatever I'm going through, I'm not going to go through it alone. Or maybe today you need to find contentment. And you're going to find that contentment by putting your hope, your life, in the hands of Jesus Christ. See, I'm going to tell you something this morning. When Jesus said the words, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'm going to give you rest. When Jesus said those things, he meant that. I mean, think about it. Come to me, all ye who are weary and burdened, and I'm going to give you rest. Think about the words that Jesus said. Because what boyfriend, what girlfriend, what husband, or what wife can make to you a promise like that? What person is there in this world right now that can meet the deepest needs of your soul? You have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ if you actually want those needs to be met. If you want to have real contentment and experience hope when you're facing life alone, listen to me this morning, it's only found in Jesus. You need a love that will will never fail. You need a love that will never give up on you. You need a love that overwhelms and satisfies your soul. You need a love that is only found in Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads this morning and pray with me, please? God, we're so, we're searching. We're trying to find the pieces to the puzzle. And especially many of the single people right now. Thinking if things in their life would be just a little bit different, then then they could be happy. But it's in the story that we find in the book of Ruth. Three people who went through the single life differently and had different needs. That search for contentment and peace and love and hope. Paul tells us it's only found one place. It's found in Jesus Christ. No other person on this earth will ever meet the need that we have. Because it's through Jesus Christ that we can do all things. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe this morning you need to make the important decision like Evie and Audrey and Mackenzie made. Maybe you need to put your hope 
and your faith in Jesus Christ, believing that he is who he says he is and that he will do everything that he said he will do in your life like he has promised to do in mine and in their lives. Maybe today right where you're seated in this auditorium or in your office or in your home, wherever you're watching us, you just need to come to him and just tell him that you're tired of carrying the burden that you've been carrying. That search that you've been on for contentment and peace and hope, it's yielded you nothing. And that this morning you're willing to humble yourself and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And right where you are, maybe you just pray silently in your own words, asking him to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you and to do in your life what only he can do. Just come to him. You've carried it too long. God, we're so thankful this morning that we have a heavenly father that we can come to. And God, that you will do everything that you promised to do. So God, I pray this morning for those who are making a decision, for those who are seeking help, for those who need a change in their life, that God, they will come to you. Because we know that when they do, you will answer them. And you will do exceedingly abundantly more than they could ever ask or think. God, continue to work by your spirit in our church and our lives as we continue to search follow you as we ask this prayer this morning in Jesus name Amen Can we stand on our feet this morning
Don't.